either internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. <laughs> <laughs> We're fine. We're keeping that. Lucas, don't you dare fix that. Keep that pause. Lucas, you keep trying to fix these things. Do not. <laughs> Sorry. Fred Meyer sent me a text and I was very worried they were talking to me about my order that I put in to pick up tomorrow. The grocery store. Yes. Anyway, this is I Will Fight You, a podcast where we've been turning opinion into stone cold facts since 1986. Today's fact, ostensibly, Jim Caviezel needs a new agent. This is Kit's fact. Yep. I'm not sure about this one, Kit. <laughs> okay, here's the thing. I don't think Jim Caviezel is like some undiscovered acting talent. His range is limited at best, but there are worse actors with better careers. <laughs> So I don't understand what's going on here because Jim Caviezel is in one movie I like, Count of Monte Cristo, one TV show I like, Person of Interest, and then it's just reams of dog shit like this for the rest of his resume. Okay, look, folks, we're watching the 2008 movie Outlander, which is the most 1997 movie I've seen in a while. <laughs> and it came out in 2008. <laughs> yeah, 2008, folks. And this is like... On Jim Caviezel's IMDb page, you know how it will pull things for, like, the known four? And, you know, the Passion of the Christ is on here. So is Outlander! <laughs> Outlander made the cut! <laughs> yeah, you look at his IMDb page and it's a fucking wasteland, dude. <laughs> dude was nominated for and did not win, like, an MTV award. <laughs> uh, I don't know what happened. I don't, this is, I, I saw this film for the first time last night. Can I just get this right off the bat? This thing's two hours long. <laughs> it is inexcusable that it's two hours long. <laughs> this movie is two hours long. And it felt like it was five hours long. Yeah, it's, it it's, so it's, long. it goes, <laughs> it goes for a while. It goes, but it doesn't do anything. There are parts and you don't really know why that it's fixating on these parts. We'll get to it, but there's one scene which doesn't even really come back, honestly, but it goes on for 20 minutes. Is this Shields? It's Shields. It's Shields. <laughs> Sorry, we're not saying it right. It's Shields! Shields! <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah, so this is the movie Outlander that came out in 2008 starring Jim Caviezel, John Hurt, and Ron Perlman, although Ron Perlman's in it for, like, maybe 10 minutes total. Ron Perlman's yeah. in it? Ron Perlman's in Where it. Where's Ron Perlman in this? He played Gunner. He was that other, the guy who's in charge of the village that the that Morrowind destroyed. Perlman? Yeah, that was Ron Perlman. Yeah. This movie gave me a Ron Perlman, and I was too dazed by all of the terribleness to even <laughs> notice. God damn it! Yeah, so <laughs> this is Outlander, the movie that came out in 2008. Not to be confused with Outlander, the TV show that started in, what, 2014? Claire! Yeah. <laughs> also not to be confused with Outland, the Sean Connery movie from 1981. Also not to be confused with Pathfinder, which is the other shit. Viking movie that came out around this time and also not to be confused with the 13th warrior which is the same premise but it's Antonio Panderas as a Arab poet and then it's Beowulf instead of Jim Caviezel as a space marine and then it's Beowulf <laughs> god it's the fact that this movie is just another Beowulf <laughs> man this movie came out while I was taking Beowulf in college I wish I'd seen it when it came out so I could have worked it into a paper the same Beowulf <laughs> Okay, so, like, 
I did a little bit of reading on the background of this movie. It looked like this thing was basically in, like, idea land for, like, 20 years. Originally, it looked like they were going to use the Weta workshop to do this. And, oh, you know, Weta, which... Lord of the Rings! Yeah, okay, you know, little known things like Hercules the Legendary Dernies, Xena Warrior Princess, and the Lord of the Rings movies! And instead, they ended up filming it in Nova Scotia, which, you know, at least a bunch of my countrymen drew a paycheck from this thing. <laughs> it's got real, like, I'm gonna go on just, like, a freaking Muppets deep cut here. It's like Kermit the Frog walking around Muppet Vision Labs going, we invited top scientists from all over the world to come and join us and work in our labs. Unfortunately, none of them showed up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of energy that phrase has that they were going to use WIDA. <laughs> Carl Urban was going to play the main character, but then he went off to do Pathfinder and they got Jim Caviezel instead. Literally anyone would have been preferable to Jim Caviezel here. <laughs> oh my God. This man has no facial expressions and the, the man murmurs most of the movie. And when he's not murmuring, he's murmuring loudly. Yeah. The audio mixing here is a nightmare. Yeah. He either murmurs or he shouts one of three things. Those three things are in order. Freya. Morwin or Shields. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, Jim Caviezel was waiting his entire career to play John Reese, and every role up to that point is just him doing John Reese, but slightly shittier in a context that doesn't work. Here's the thing about Outlander that fascinates me, is that this movie, for all intents and purposes, feels like one of those incredibly crappy early aughts video game movies, where it's just like a genre film, and occasionally someone says the name of a video game in it. This movie was made by someone who showed up to a Warhammer fantasy tournament with a bunch of 40k <laughs> figurines and then got pissed off he couldn't play. But then he throws away the figurines, like, early on, and then just starts playing regular Warhammer. Okay, 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 okay. We need to get into this. Okay. <laughs> Though I do want to say one thing real quick. I showed the trailer to John, and as I started the movie, he very sensibly walked away to go do something else. But not before saying, dragon eats man. Viking inherits the earth. I showed the trailer to Dan and Key, and the trailer said something like, high HD 1080 trailer 2008. No. And they both watched it, and they said, wait. This is a 2008 movie? It looks like it's 1997 and filmed on the worst a video camera you could in 1997. I 1997? Said, yes. Everyone comes up with 1997. Yeah. <laughs> the color grading on this movie is so fucking fried. Its native format must be VHS. But the fact that it never came out on VHS is besides the point. It maybe came out on one of those really early DVDs where they weren't putting, like, logos on the discs yet. It's got, like, the double snaps to open it up. <laughs> Actually, I think that is my DVD copy of Outlander. It does have the double snaps. <laughs> That's just delicious. Yeah. By the way, I own a DVD copy of Outlander because it was $5. God, Kit. Five Canadian dollars. Yeah. Does anyone want to hear the story about how I discovered this movie? I do need to know why this movie. We need to know. At the time, this was in 2014, I was on a what turned out to be a 10-month work contract where I was working very long days and very long weeks. I didn't really have the energy to do anything by the time I got back to my 300 square foot apartment. This is the one in the basement of the nunnery that I told you guys about. Oh, nice. The one that had a tunnel that went to the nearby hospital that got converted into condominiums. The tunnel was only walled off by plywood. So if I really wanted to, I probably could have busted that down. Yeah, this is maybe the most haunted building you've ever told me about living in. Yeah, and I've lived in some haunted f***ing buildings. 300 square foot basement suite, one room, little twin bed, and a TV. 
So I get home from work. All I really have the energy to do is watch Netflix for like 10 months straight. And I was running out of stuff to watch. Let me tell you, this is how I ended up watching the Jason Momoa Conan movie, which also had Ron Perlman in it. Oh boy. And Netflix has started to catch on that my taste is absolute dog shit and feeds me, hey, do you want to watch Outlander? And I was like, sure. So I watch Outlander. <laughs> and I'm like, I have no idea how this movie got made. And I became fascinated with it. And I'll tell you why. And you're sleep addled at this point. I'm sleep deprived at this point and uh -huh. not mentally all there. And let me tell you why I'm still obsessed with this movie. Okay. Jim Caviezel gives me severe gender envy. Okay. I don't know why. I don't know what it is, but I look at Jim Caviezel performing tremendous acts of violence and then suffering quietly with tears streaming down his face, and my brain goes, gender! I don't have an explanation for this. That's the one you've latched onto. John Q. Video Game over here. John Q. Video Game is the one my brain has latched onto. I'm also really obsessed with person of interest for very similar reasons, is that Jim Caviezel gives me severe gender envy. Oh, honey. Yeah, I don't understand this. So then you made us watch Outlander. Because you made me watch Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July. Oh my god. Anyway, Outlander. So here's the thing about this movie. It's two hours, but it starts right off the bat with a ship crash landing on Earth. Yep. yep. There is no beating around the bush. There is no getting to know any character. It is just a spaceship crash landing on Earth. And you would think with that kind of momentum, it would go and go and go, but it doesn't. No, it, it does not. It just happens. It goes fast for the first two minutes and then stops dead. It crash lands. We see some people in spacesuits stumble out of a sinking ship. We see Isaac Clark from Dead Space emerge from the lake where the ship crashed. And then another Isaac Clark from Dead Space. Don't worry about the second one. He's dead. We find that out in about 30 seconds. Yeah, they pull the helmet <laughs> off. There's like a couple beats of sad music playing. Like we're supposed to feel something despite knowing literally nothing of what's going on. Jim Caviezel takes off his mask and you're like, oh my god, he looks like a person, but he came from space. And then he has a brief flashback about his wife and son that died of plot. Yeah. <laughs> they both died of plot and they are very personality-filled people. <laughs> and then he, like, passes out, wakes up the next day, and then he talks to a computer in what apparently IMDb says is a very old and historically accurate dialect of Icelandic. Yeah, it's, it's an old Icelandic. This movie, everybody's speaking English, and so it's decided that since we're hearing English, then the alien language should be old Icelandic for reasons I don't fully understand. Anyway, Jim Caviezel pulls out the space computer from the wreckage. It tells him that he's on Earth, which is a Iron Age planet, and it says, quote, abandoned seed colony. That is the only explanation this movie is going to give you as to why <laughs> as to why there are human space marines and human vikings it is not interested in explaining any further why these things are concurrent and neither should you be i just remember that like there's a little thing that comes out of it like a little eye probe and the way that he is freaking out about this thing you think that it's gonna stab him in the eye but no it just downloads wikipedia into his brain it downloads the entire theoretically Norse language, actually the English language, into his brain. It's implied that it's very painful, but yeah. And then he Ralphs, and then his first word in English is fuck. Yeah. I can respect this. <laughs> I can respect that too. Lucas, I think that's the fuck we keep. That's the only fuck we keep. And so then he just sort of cavorts in nature with a Nerf gun for a while. 
He pulls out like a laser gun and there's like a big to-do of showing us that the laser gun is very deadly and then the movie gets rid of it basically immediately. And we will never see it again. Ever. We're not going (laughs) to reclaim this. There are no laser swords. There are no laser guns. Don't worry about it anymore. We don't even have axes with blinky lights on them. Nope. During this time, we also get weird montages of elk in the forest and we get focused on their eyes and how creepy they are and then... Yeah, it just flashes through a bunch of things. At some point, he wanders up to the corpse of, like, a beached whale. Yeah, because this is a whaling village, apparently, despite the fact that it's nowhere near the ocean, near as I can tell. There's, like, a lake. And that's about it. It's deeply inland. Yeah, it's implied that there's a fjord a little bit away from here, but, like, I don't know how this whale got here in this completely landlocked village. (laughs) But, yeah, the village has been f***ing wrecked, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, Jim Caviezel wanders through the wreckage of this village. He picks up a bent version of the exact same sword I have on my mantle, by the way. (laughs) The $69 sword? Was it 69 Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, because you said it was a nice sword. Yeah, that's right. It is the nice sword. God, I need another one. I need more swords. Annie needs more swords. I need more swords. Hey, audience, send swords to Annie. Care of. All the swords that you can't give to Carly Rae Jepsen at concerts right now, give them to me. (laughs) I'll get a P.O. box. The editing in the sequence is really janky, too. Oh, just in the sequence? Well, in the movie, (laughs) in the movie especially, but in this particular sequence, it's especially janky because we're trying to show that, like, Jim Caviezel knows things, but also his face doesn't move. No, this man's face never moves. So you just have to cut between, like, things he's seeing and his face not reacting to it and back to the thing he's seeing. Like, we're going to milk the Kuleshov effect for all it's worth because Jim Caviezel's face doesn't move. Like I said, this acting works well for the character he plays in Person of Interest and does not work well in literally any other context. Well, that's because he's not playing a character here. The person he plays in Person of Interest is dead inside. (laughs) That's the point of him. We're trying to, like, emphasize with this character. We're trying to feel feelings about him. We don't have anything to go on. We don't even know who this is. This is just Jim Caviezel, who is no longer in a spaceship. Anyway, some Vikings show up. (laughs) Yeah, he gets hit by a horse. Like, in the same way that someone gets hit by a car. (laughs) His gun goes flying. It goes down a waterfall. We never see it again. (laughs) Ever. You would think that would be, like, a Chekhov's laser gun. It's not. It's not. No. He gets drug into a Viking town. Cut to, there's a girl and an old man doing some sword fighting. And she's wearing a leather tube top. Wow. Yeah. And a leather loincloth skirt. We will never see her in this outfit again. It is very bad armor. Ever. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be the equivalent of workout clothes, but also, no. No. But also, the old man is John Hurt, who you may know as Hellboy's dad from Hellboy, and also he's in literally every other movie. I don't think he said no to a single thing in his life. (laughs) And the girl is Sophia Miles, who you may recognize as the actress who played Madame de Pompadour in that one Doctor Who episode. She was also David Tennant's girlfriend for like two years. Her name is Freya here, no relation to, you know, the god. By the way, you don't find this out right away, but the village is Herut and the king is Rothgar, uh, both of which are things from Beowulf. Those are basically the only things from Beowulf, aside from the fact that there's a monster and a guy who kills the monster. And there's a second monster in an underwater lake. It's, It's the first two acts of Beowulf. Everybody skips the last part of Beowulf. We don't talk about it. Except for the movie that- We don't talk about that movie! (laughs) Zemeckis made, where they decided they were gonna work the third Uh... act in anyway, but only explain it by having Beowulf fuck Grendel's mom and give birth to the dragon. Why? 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 
No. <laughs> For the sake of completeness, Annie, the people need to know. <laughs> so we have a whole, like, Princess Jasmine, you have to get married scene over this sword fight. And she's like, but I don't want to be married to Wolfric. And everybody is speaking in British accents because it's... Yeah. 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 Everybody's British. It's fake old Viking. Don't worry about it. Rothgar is like, but you have to marry Wolfric. She's like, he's a tyrant. And he's like, well, as his wife, you can control him. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Wolfric bursts in and is like, what? So I rule Rothgar and she rules me? I will not have my woman fighting like a man. I don't want ladies to use swords as though that's not the hottest shit. Wolfric, by the way, looks like grocery store brand Johnny Depp or grocery store brand Killy from the Hobbit movies. He looks like a dollar store Keeley. And when I say he's smooth, his face is smooth, I don't mean like a soft boy. I mean this man has had like polish done on his cheekbones. It's weird looking. It's like if Legolas and Aragorn had a baby. <laughs> yeah! Yeah! And he was greasy. His hair stays the exact same amount of greasy throughout the whole movie, despite whether or not he's been swimming in oil. <laughs> Freya leaves, and Wolfric says to Rothgar, like, oh, there's nothing soft about her, which really you should have said there's nothing soft about me. <laughs> Just saying. As annoying as, like, Freya's introduction is, I don't hate her involvement in this movie. It's way less annoying than certain other female characters in other movies we've watched. Yeah, but at the same time, I never got my lesbian feelings for her. Yeah. No, at no point did I feel gay for Freya, which is really difficult to do because she's a lady with a sword. Yeah. Yeah, she's a lady with a sword. She wears like a badass dress most of the time that actually looks convenient and not like it's going to get in the way. At some point, the skirt of that dress gets cut conveniently by a monster, but it doesn't even do it all the way up to her hips. So it's not even like effective. No. Somehow she's just not effective yeah. on my gay feelings. This is an insult to us, specifically. <laughs> she inspires zero gay feelings, but she does get to do stuff a little bit. It's true. Yeah, for about five seconds. She gets to do some stuff, which is better than getting to do no stuff. <sighs> but she spends so much time being kidnapped in between these things anyway. Jim Caviezel is still knocked out. They take his boots. This becomes, like, kind of a plot thing for about five seconds. <laughs> Yeah, it becomes a thing briefly, and then it's not a thing anymore. They wake him up, and he's like, my name's Kanan. They try to interrogate him, and... They're like, why are you here? And he's like, I was fighting that thing. And he points to a dragon. He points to a sculpture of a dragon, or like, it's like a, a metal image of a dragon. And they laugh because, f*** that. <laughs> Naturally, f*** that. And then he does, you know, space marine martial arts and still doesn't manage to escape. And then we cut to Freya, who's doing lady things like cooking, and Wolfram is like, go heal Jim Caviezel. <laughs> yeah, we beat the shit out of Jim Caviezel. Can you essentially dab water on his face? <laughs> <laughs> they cut to where they're holding Jim Caviezel, and here's the thing. I'm trash who's been playing too much of the strong Norse wife assassination game, because I saw the uneven space slats of wood in the background of the shot, and I was like, oh, I can break those and make an alternative entrance to the building and get the treasure <laughs> chest full of leather and iron. <laughs> but yeah, he manages to get an iron poker and get it to burn through his bonds while yelling, because even if you're not directly touching a hot piece of metal with your hands, if your skin's pretty close, it's, it f***ing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> We cut to Hrothgar, who is just kind of hanging out in, like, a definitely real bird's nest set. <laughs> <laughs> 
this definitely isn't green screen. It's like the roof in the room. And there's a conversation that John Hurt has had this conversation in every movie I've seen him in. <laughs> where he's dying and he advises the younger person he's mentoring to, like, be a good leader and not just be a violent dipshit. To possibly mixed success. But here's the thing. They're saying this to Wolfric and they're talking about Wolfric's backstory. I don't care about this guy. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I know you want to kill Gunner. I'm like, who's Gunner? <laughs> I appreciate that this movie has decided that it wants to drip feed me information instead of info dumping all at the start. But at the same time, you could drip feed a little faster and in better order. Well, they could also have these characters do things that make me like be interested in them. At, at this point, I can only tell who the main characters are because they are on screen more often, not because they have important, interesting personalities. Wolfric is clearly a main character because he is styled like one. It's like looking at a crowd shot of, of a high school anime and looking for the one with green hair. <laughs> it's like when you can tell in an Assassin's Creed game that one of the characters is a Templar because they have a more elaborate outfit than everybody else. Exactly. We do the Florence Nightingale meet cute with Freya dabbing his head sensually with water. And then she realizes, oh crap, he's free. And she starts to shout. <laughs> and then he straight up knocks her out. Yeah. <laughs> There's a guard. He beats up the guard, takes his shoes. And then Jim Caviezel looks at Freya and just kind of paws at her face a little in place of having an emotion on his face. <laughs> Like, the directors realized that having him just leave her there wasn't a good idea, but they also couldn't convincingly have him show concern for her well-being. <laughs> so instead we have this. And it's not even like he's, like, caressing her cheek or something. He's straight up pawing at her with his fingers like, girl? And then it's nighttime suddenly. Yeah, it's nighttime now. And we do, like, this thing with a couple of guards who talk about swords. Who what the f*** is up with Rosencrantz and Guildenstern up on the wall? <laughs> like, what is this? <laughs> it's like, you know how confusing it is when these two comedians show up in the Nutcracker and the Four Realms and do a bit? Yeah, imagine that, but with people you don't recognize at all. <laughs> There's an entire bit where one guy's sharpening a sword and the other one is complaining that he's spending too much time sharpening the sword. And then threatening to shove it up his ass. And then they get murked. <laughs> They get nabbed by something glowing red. And people are like, oh my god, I saw someone die apparently. Someone sounded the horn. It's Gunner. And I'm like, finally, I'll know who the hell Gunner is. <laughs> and you were wrong. You were wrong. I was wrong. I was so wrong. <laughs> Instead, it's just like, it's all incredibly dark and very blue. Yeah, so you can't really see anything, but it's the quote-unquote dragon that Kynan was talking about. But it's mostly got tentacles, and the tentacles just randomly stab people as they show up in scene. So you'll see a guy open a door and run in and go, Honey, I need my ex! And she goes, Okie dokies! <laughs> and suddenly a tentacle just stabs through his heart. Yeah. And it's that over and over again. At some point, it turns out that this village just has, like, a maze made out of stretched hides. Were they making a Halloween <laughs> village over there? I don't know what the f*** that is. <laughs> So a couple people chase it through this little stretched hide maze. At some point, we find out that, like, Jim Caviezel calls it a Morwen, and it's got a big giant red mouth, and it looks like Spider-Man's nemesis, the lizard. <laughs> I do kind of like the design on the Morwen. 
Well, that's just because it just looks like a displacer beast, but a lizard. It is. And the bioluminescence is cool. I'm a sucker for good bioluminescence. I just wish it would pick a color. (laughs) Because it does blue stuff sometimes. It does red stuff sometimes. It turns out his blood is neon green. I want it to pick a color. (laughs) Anyway, you see it up on the wall. Jim Caviezel screams more when it runs away and everyone grabs Jim Caviezel. Reasonably so, because he's standing in the middle of the village holding an axe and screaming. That's not a situation you let happen for much longer than that. He has another sci-fi dream flashback about his wife and son. Oh, I bet they're fine. Oh, it's so (laughs) f***ing good because you see a definitely shelled, burned down building, but the front doorway arch is still standing and nothing else. (laughs) And you see him pull the door open and then, like he's surprised, drop to his (laughs) knees at the sight of his dead wife and child. Like, my dude, the whole building was burned down. I don't know what you were expecting to see on the other side of that door. Well, I don't know. His wife is perfectly preserved. (laughs) oh my god yeah we see his wife in her casket later and she's just fine she's fine she's just fine she's fine she's visibly asleep it's like (laughs) mr freeze and his wife nora who (laughs) loved snow on christmas also i need to talk about briefly about something that kind of struck me is that jim conviesel during this is wearing what i can only call a future space tank top oh my god yes 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 his wife and his kid and every single other person wears a space tank top. Yes. And it's the worst tank top. <laughs> it's not good. Jim Caviezel and his wife and his son all have matching outfits like they are the random aliens on a Planet of the Week episode of Star Trek. <laughs> I think I've seen that Planet of the Week episode of Star Trek. It's the one that took place on Rome, but not Rome, and they have TV. Whatever. Everywhere they go, everyone on a colony wears matching outfits. They design one costume, and maybe somebody gets to wear a vest. Anyway, Jim Caviezel wakes up out of his dead wife dream, chained to a well, and a small child is there. Oh my god, he has this incredibly long, tense stare down with a kid eating a muffin. (laughs) This kid is gonna get a name at some point. I don't care about it. His name is Wig Child. (laughs) He loses his wig later, and it's a travesty. It's this horrible, matted, blonde wig. I think there's supposed to be bonding in this scene, but it's mostly just a stare down with a small child. Also, it turns out one of these characters is named Boromir. (laughs) Yeah, this is Boromir. His personality is that he's drunk. His name is Boromir. You can tell which one he is because he's the bald one. With the bear paw on the back of his head. I guess he does. (laughs) He does have a paw tattoo on the back of his skull. Don't worry about Boromir. He's not important. I'm just upset that his name's freaking Boromir. This was post-Lord of the Rings movies. The name Boromir already had meaning to a bunch of people, and they named the character Boromir anyway. It's the Tiffany problem. You can't call him Boromir. Also, I don't know how this movie wants me to feel about Boromir. (laughs) Yeah, is Boromir supposed to be, like, the cool, fun friend? Because it expects us to care about Boromir, and I- this man doesn't have a personality. (laughs) His personality is drunk. He likes mead. He does like mead. Anyway, Jim Caviezel gets dragged into a meeting hall with all the other people. Oh my god. Can we talk about the fact that this meeting hall just has a big tree in it? Because I guess we were just going to go real hard on the Yggdrasil thing. Yeah, Yeah. somebody involved in the production of design about this movie cared a lot. Cared possibly more about this movie than literally (laughs) anyone else involved in this movie. (laughs) Apparently they built a whole ass Viking village. Like they built this whole set to film this whole thing in and they designed a meeting hall with a huge tree in it we spent five seconds in here or maybe five hours i can't tell 
Anyway, it's your obligatory Christian priest. He's here. Yeah. yeah. He's here to say that it's the devil. I somehow missed this guy. And so later, whenever <laughs> oh, he so came back, really I messaged Annie and I was like, why is there a Christian priest here suddenly? They were talking about gods. It's like, I don't have a reason for why he was here before. <laughs> Especially since I think chronologically speaking, he should not be here. <laughs> <laughs> this is supposed to be like in like the 8th century and the Christian missionaries didn't show up in Scandinavia until the 11th. I think they said it was 799. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I missed that part because I didn't discover that the torrent, because I just downloaded this illegally, folks. <laughs> I didn't bother buying it legally. The torrent I was using, I didn't realize it had subtitles until about 20 minutes after this point. So I had no idea what was going on most of the time. Yeah, I was like, I sure hope you have subtitles on that. And you're like, I don't think it does. Oh, wait, I accidentally turned it on. (laughs) Yeah, that was basically it. That's actually the perfect way to experience Outlander failing watching it on VHS. Don't buy this movie in Blu-ray, folks. It will not matter. (laughs) Don't buy this movie, though. It's $5. You could buy it. I rented it. I don't want to permanently have this. I do. I know. Someone has to. I guess it's you. Yep. Jim Caviezel is like, no, it's seriously, it's called a Morwen. Please call it a Morwen. It says that in the screenplay. (laughs) And they're like, there's nothing like that here. And Jim Caviezel's response is, yes, there is. And clearly his answer should have been, there is now. Yeah. But instead his answer is, I brought it here. (laughs) Which is quite possibly the dumbest thing to say in a room full of angry Vikings. You think they're not just going to stab you? And they're like, yeah, it's your fault. And he's like, yes. I don't know what my accent was there briefly. And then he suffers some more in front of the camera for my benefit and my benefit alone. (laughs) They're like, well, whatever. Clearly we all hallucinated and saw a bear. So let's go hunt a bear. And then the only good thing in this movie happens. Jim Caviezel's hands are bound. He is drug outside. Someone hands him the reins of a horse and he looks at the horse and says, what do I do with it? (laughs) That did get me. I did like that. (laughs) And then he sees other people getting on the horses. And then he tries to mount with the wrong leg (laughs) until he figures out the right one as the horse is starting to trot away after the other horses. (laughs) And I just want to point out, again, this guy got Norse Wikipedia downloaded into his brain and it skipped the part about horse. (laughs) It skipped the horse part. It's like horses and fermentation. Those are the two, like, big things that we do, like, in in developing societies. And he skipped both of those. He skipped both of them. So this is where we get our proper introduction to Boromir. And by that, I mean he has a whole ass goat full of mead. And he offers it over to Jim Caviezel and is like, hey, have a sip. It will take care of all your woes. Oh, right. Because Freya punches him in the face. I need to explain to everyone what I mean when I say it's a whole ass goat full of mead. (laughs) I mean that he has literally had a goat hollowed out and had a spout put in where the neck is. (laughs) And that's just full of mead. He has a goat full of mead. And he's talking about the goat full of mead. He's like, hey, you should have some of my goat full of mead because Freya showed up again in the movie and then she just sort of punched him Caviezel in the face and walked away. I did like that part a lot. I do appreciate when people punch gritty movie characters in the face. That is nice. Yeah, I feel like that should have happened more and been a running joke. Maybe just the movie, instead of just wandering around, could have just had people take turns punching Jim Caviezel in the face. Honestly, punch everybody in the face. Punch Wolfric some. I'm okay with that, too. Maybe they should have taken all the shields and replaced them with punching. <laughs> yeah! Are you just thinking about the Yule Festival at Assassin's Creed? I might be. <laughs> I got so 
drunk. Anyway, Jim Caviezel tries some mead, and it's god-awful, because mead is god-awful, folks. I love mead. It's terrible. Mead's real good. Admittedly, I don't drink, so I think all alcohol is terrible, like, from a taste standpoint, but it's pretty bad. I don't have any mead opinions. I love mead. It definitely has not been improved by being kept inside of a goat. Let's put it that way. That's fair. I will give that one. Fair. Also, can we just talk about the fact that they're going on a bear hunt and their ailing, dying king decided to come along on this bear hunt? Yeah, he's also here. (laughs) And he talks to Jim Caviezel for a bit about where he comes from. And something I do like about how this movie is written, and there's not a lot that I like about how this movie is written, but Jim Caviezel in this movie, when asked about like where he comes from and what his deal is, always tells the complete truth just in a frame of reference that Vikings can understand. Yeah, whenever he talks about where he's from, he just says an island far to the north. It's the sky. <laughs> north is some direction in space. <laughs> <laughs> By north, we mean directly up. <laughs> But yeah, I do like that. I do like that it, he's not the weird guy ranting about being from space. He's not just completely lying. He's just telling the truth, but in a frame of reference that the people he's talking to can understand. It's sort of like that bit from Jupiter Ascending where Kane is gently trying to explain this absolutely bullshit world building that he has to explain. <laughs> Bees. Bees, though. How come this movie doesn't have Sean Bean in it? I feel like if any movie should have Sean Bean in it, it should be this one. (laughs) So now that we've hit our contractually obligated Jupiter Ascending aside for the episode. We gotta have one an episode. One an episode. Bark, bark guns. They discover some animal entrails and Wolfric is like, we should split up. We'll cover more ground that way. Because of course. Because you know, that's never a bad idea. Even hunting a bear, that's a bad idea. The (laughs) king is with you. The king and his immediate successor are both here. (laughs) (laughs) that's fine you can have one of them get eaten by a bear (laughs) just not both it's fine so we see like hrothgar and boromir find a cave with blood around it and like a horse head like it's the freaking godfather someone else finds like another cave with body parts jim caviezel and wolfric just find like a big ass splash of blood by the beach wolfric looks at it and says a bear wouldn't do this i don't know what he's looking at that would make him conclude that a bear wouldn't do this but <laughs> this movie has a lot of problems like pointing things at the things you're supposed to see like this movie is bad at pov shots which is hard because that's the only way we can tell what people are emoting about and then they're screaming and there's a bear they do actually find a bear it turns out there's legitimately fine to kill a bear <laughs> And then there's this whole thing where, you know, oh my god, the old man who is in charge of our whole society gets attacked by a bear. How could we have foreseen this? (laughs) Until Jim Caviezel stabs the bear with a sword. I guess. It's not very clear. This is how he proves himself to the Vikings, is he kills a bear. It's also very dark, and so they just have a whole bunch of close-ups on some puppet jaws that they made for a bear. Some taxidermied bear jaws that they had. And there's just some guy off the side just sort of clacking them together and making some (laughs) roar noises that they'll fix in post. This was not a high-budget movie. (laughs) I feel like that's a given at this point, but I also feel like we should reiterate this was not a high-budget movie. (laughs) This is a two-hour movie! This movie is two hours! (laughs) Yeah, and Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July was an hour and 37 minutes, and most of it was Ethel Merman singing about unrelated things. (laughs) Yeah, but at least that one had rain snakes. This one has shields. <laughs> you telling me shields isn't worth the price of admission? No! <laughs> Titanic 2 is only going to be an hour and 30 minutes long. 
See, Titanic 2 is only 90 minutes long. <laughs> Titanic 2 knows what kind of movie it is. <laughs> Titanic 2, half the length of Titanic 1. <laughs> <laughs> With twice the icebergs. <laughs> we'll get to that next time. That's our next movie, folks. So we get back to Hera. They nail the bear's head to a tree and decide to have a big feast to celebrate the killing of the bear. It's about this point that I realized that this movie was Dances with Wolves, but with Vikings. <laughs> they give Jim Caviezel some free clothes, and I assume this is supposed to be his hut that they show him in. But they do this thing where everyone is at the party, and then Jim Caviezel enters in his new Viking outfits, and everybody hushes. Like he is Cinderella, arrive late to the ball. <laughs> And then everybody stands up and claps. He's still wearing his dumb tank top. Except now he's got like a big fuzzy vest over it that looks awful. <laughs> and he's got a uh, gorget and he's got Viking boots and he's got a sword. Over his tank top. Also, he has a butt cape. <sighs> and then he joins the party. Hrothgar has now decided to ship his daughter and Jim Caviezel. Yeah. There's this great bit too. We pan over to like the big vat full of mead where there's this girl filling jugs full of mead to serve to people. And Boromir <laughs> has decided that he's going to basically drape himself on her and drunkenly tell the story of how Jim Caviezel killed the bear. And the girl that he's draped over is doing the best acting in the entire movie. That's true. She is definitely doing the woman listening to a man face and just nodding. And you see her eyebrows go up a couple of times as she desperately tries to keep doing the thing that she's doing. <laughs> But the point of this scene is that Freya overhears and hears that Jim Caviezel saved her dad's life. So now she has respect for Jim Caviezel. Meanwhile, Jim Caviezel is in the process of adopting the kid who stared at him for a while. Yeah, this is an adoption speed run. <laughs> uh, he has found the wig child whose name is Eric. I immediately forgot it, except that I wrote it down. I remembered it only because the kid reminded me of the 10 years old kid. <laughs> A little bit, yeah. And Eric naturally made me think a fan of the opera, so. Good. Yeah. At first I thought, was this supposed to imply that he's Eric the Red? But his hair's blonde, so I don't know. The point is, is that Jim Caviezel gives him a sword and says, go have fun. He's a little orphan boy. <laughs> Jim Caviezel gives him a sword, says, bring it back at some point. The kid wisely runs off now that he has received a sword. He never needs anything to this guy ever again. <laughs> and then people start yelling, shields. Shields. It's some frat boy bullshit. It's like some frat boy deciding it's time for beer pong. He just slams his drink down and bellows, Shields! Oh my god. <laughs> and then everybody echoes, Shields! Shields! And by this they mean they want Wolfric to play Shields because nobody else steps up. What Shields means is it's, it's like a 25 minute long sequence. It's so long. This movie is two hours and Shields is so long. Shields is easily, I feel, it's not actually 25% of it, but it feels like 25% of it. It feels like a full 25% of the movie. Yeah. Shields is a whole act in and of itself. There's no real reason for it. It barely comes up again. What happens is a whole bunch of guys grab their shields, and these are those round wooden shields, and they hold them up like you're holding up a pizza. And they do this in a big rectangle, and then Wolfric stands on one of the shields and the guy below him holds him up and he kind of balances there and then he's like jim caviezel come join me and jim's like what the hell are we doing 
And apparently the whole deal is you have to run around the ring of shields while maintaining your balance. And then do combo multipliers. <laughs> this isn't really on anyone who's actually on top of the shields. This seems like this is a challenge more for the people who are holding the shields up. Yeah. Yeah. Because they have to keep them steady and keep their arms up for a long time. Especially because sometimes they just sort of stand there on a shield and it's like, okay, are you gonna move and do this weight distribution or do I just have to stand here for a while? And the answer is yes, you do have to stand here for a while. <laughs> oh, God. And once and once Jim Caviezel's got the hand of just running around the Ring of Shields, they start pulling other dumb bullshit, like drinking, like grabbing a nearby drinking horn and downing it while doing it. This is such a dude thing. <laughs> this is some dumb frat boy bullshit, and I kind of love it. And it's like, oh, now let's drink. Ah, now I'm going to do a flip. <laughs> yeah, there's a front flip. <laughs> yeah, it ends with Wolfric doing a front flip. And then everybody turns to Kanan, and he's like, You ready, Boromir? And he does his front flip and immediately lands on Boromir, and everything's great, and then Boromir's shield breaks. Apparently that means that Jim Caviezel loses its shields, but that does seem like it's more on Boromir. Yeah. That is mostly Boromir's fault, I feel. Yeah. Or at the very least, like, the shield. I guess this means that Wolfric and Jim Caviezel are buds now. They're friends. They're best friends. Jim Caviezel leaves the party and Freya's out there and she's like, hey, thanks for saving my dad. And he's like, oh, it's cool. I didn't really mean to. <laughs> I did it mostly by accident. <laughs> and then she's like, so all the women are talking about you. And personally, I think that's probably because they live in a remote village and there's no possible way that he could be related to any of them. So it's fair game. The thing is, is that Jim Caviezel is one of the most sexless men in the world. God, he is John Q video game. The actor himself has been happily married for like 30 years <laughs> to an English teacher. Nice. So <laughs> he's not convincing at all in any kind of situation that relies on sexual tension. Half of the person of interest fanfic involving him is mostly like dom sub stuff with him being the sub and like more ideologically devoted to the dom than sexually so. Wow. Yeah. You know, I've never seen an episode of Person of Interest, but now I know some things. <laughs> It's, that's not canon. That's just a lot of gay people watching Person of Interest and going, there's something here. Oh, no, I'm aware. <laughs> there's something here. I'm not quite sure what it is, but it's something. Better just throw sex at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah. At this point, I finally get to meet Gunner. <laughs> uh, yeah. Briefly. So we do a fake out where it seems like the Morwen is attacking in, but no. No, it's a whole other plot. It's a, just a bunch of Vikings from that village that got wrecked. It's a whole other series of Vikings. None of this matters. <laughs> but Ron Perlman's here, you guys. I didn't even know. I couldn't even enjoy Ron Perlman while he was happening. Ron Perlman's got two Warhammers that he uses to crush a guy's skull. I was still lost in the shields <laughs> at this time. You're riding that shields high. I was emotionally dead for a while because of shields. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's time for a Viking fight where Freya does get to murk a guy, so there's that. Yeah, one guy. One guy. Kind of by accident. I'll take what I can get. And then the Vikings decide that they're losing, so the enemy Vikings leave. Gunner is like, my wife and son are dead. You didn't even leave me their bodies. I blame you for this, despite the fact that my village was obviously destroyed by some kind of gigantic animal. Like, unless the Morwen has somehow decided to team up with Gunner to kill all humans, this scene is bad. There is no momentum here. 
there is so little momentum in this film, and this one is just an action sequence unmoored from the narrative. <laughs> they just decided they needed a bunch of Vikings fighting another Vi a bunch of other Vikings. They had all these leftover costumes <laughs> from that Canadian Icelandic production of Beowulf and Grendel. <laughs> They're like, let's just dress up a bunch of extras and have them punch each other. <laughs> and the best part is no one even like directly addresses the fact that they're like, oh my god, clearly the monster killed his village and now he thinks we did it. They, no one addresses this. Nope, they're just like, oh shit, Gunner's trying to kill us. We should explain nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. And then Gunner goes off into the woods and decides that they're going to ambush like, the counterattack that Wolfric will invariably do, only while they're planning this counterattack. <laughs> the Morwen shows up. <laughs> and it's really tall now. <laughs> this entire movie is just two different movies constantly bashing into each other. <laughs> the Morwen starts taking out Gunner's dudes, and then they start fleeing back towards the village that they just ran out of. And this thing happens where, like, Wolfric has a whole bunch of archers lined up, and he tells them to fire. And it happens, like, three times, and every single time after they fire at the dudes running, Jim Caviezel's like, wait... Like, he only does this after fire, after the arrows are loose. He's like, oh, wait, maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> His reaction time is not good. No. <laughs> it, like, he lags out. Yeah, Jim Caviezel's reaction time is my reaction time. <laughs> I realized I was almost hit by a car about 30 seconds after I was almost hit by the car. <laughs> so this is the point where we see that, like, the Morwen has blue lights on its tail and red lights on the rest of its body, and... Except the tail lights are also red sometimes. Yeah. It almost kills Gunner, but it doesn't. Yeah, and also, I just should note that Jim Caviezel, during that earlier talk with Hrothgar, was like, the Morwen only kills by luring people in with lights, and it's never done this. No, there is no luring. It simply bioluminesces at some points. Yeah. Yeah, it just casually shows up and stabs them with its tentacle tail. It's basically a displacer beast from D&D, &D, but it lights up. It's a rave displacer beast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Gunner gets inside the village. A couple of stragglers get inside the village. Everybody sees the Morwen and they're like, oh, it wasn't a bear. <laughs> And then Jim Caviezel finds an excuse to, I think, grab Wolfric's dick real quick. They're having the great big meeting scene, and everybody's arguing over what they should do about the Morwen. And then Jim Caviezel makes a crack about how Wolfric won't be a good king until he stops thinking with this. And it's unclear what he grabs at. I think what they meant for him to grab at was the sword, but it does look like he ball taps Wolfric. I'm pretty sure he just gets a big ol' handful of wolf dick. Yeah. <laughs> You'd think this would be a training montage now. It's not. No, it's not. It's not. It's a pit digging montage. Because Jim Caviezel's like, oh, we can't fight this thing on open ground. We have to trap it. And you know that D&D &D thing where the party spends like two hours coming up with a really good plan that fails on step two? Yeah. Hey. Hey, it's that. This. This. That's what this is. <laughs> hey. Hey, that undead dragon did die. Yeah, after you argued about and then ruled out dropping the wooden ship on it. No, no, no. We also got them to rule out making it bigger. <laughs> what if we enlarged the giant dragon? They spend so much time on the sticking scene. You're like, okay, well, this is leading up to the climax where they destroy the thing and this movie is over. But it's not. No. <laughs> Unmoored from the narrative. <laughs> They 
spend so long on this trap that doesn't work. They dig this <laughs> giant pit. We cut sometimes to the wake child just wandering around in the background. At some point, once they have dug the pit, he's like, okay, great. Now we need some post holes. And they're like, what do you need post holes for? And he says, posts. <laughs> I do genuinely like that part. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. And then the wig child cuts his hair. Uh... Because he wants to be like his new dad. And then he just looks like friggin' Anakin Skywalker in the Phantom Menace. Oh, God, he does. He really he does. does. Yeah. It is Anakin Skywalker vibes. It's unfortunate. It's like, hi, new dad. Are you an angel? Oh, God. <laughs> this is totally wizard, new dad. <laughs> this kid barely speaks, by the way. Now this is Morwen. This kid's first lines come inordinately late in the movie. You think that, like, maybe there's a whole thing about, like, Jim Caviezel slowly, like, him talking more and more to the kid. But no, he just starts vocalizing. <laughs> he just, he starts vocalizing when the Morwen shows up and he has to start screaming for someone to help him. And then afterwards, he pretty much just turns into a character who just tells Jim Caviezel when plot things are happening. Yep. <laughs> anyway, they build a big Morwen trap. Filled with oil. And there's shields. There's shields, yeah. They fill this thing with oil and shields, and it's like they fill this muddy pit full of moisture with a liquid that they don't expect to get absorbed into the mud, <laughs> into the soil. Look, it's oil. Don't worry about it. I'm sure. And I mean, like, we have to point out that this thing is deep. This is like... I'd say this is like a, a 20-foot deep pit. It's like 10 or 15 feet deep, and then Jim Caviezel's like, six feet more, Boromir! So it's deeper. Oy, oy. It's a big fucking hole. This part of the movie also, like earlier, doesn't actually take up 25% of the movie, but it feels like it. <laughs> they spent so long building this fucking thing. You think it's going to be a really big deal. It's not. I'm just going to tell you, we're telling you right now, it's not. Don't get attached to the pit. <laughs> Don't get emotionally attached to the pit. Because the next scene is Jim Caviezel and Wolfric standing out alone to try and lure the Morwen out so they can take it into this pit. Oh my god, at some point, like, Hrothgar talks to Jim Caviezel and he's like, Would you like to stay in our village forever and maybe bone with my daughter? <laughs> and, like, Jim Caviezel's like, You can't possibly love me, Freya. I am too mysterious. And she's like, eh. He tells her his entire backstory with oh regards to the Morwins. I hate this backstory. <laughs> it's trying to do something with themes that don't make any sense. <laughs> As he tells her this, she keeps saying, like, the platitudes that people say when, like, a relative's died. Oh, you didn't mean to. You didn't mean to. Oh, I'm sure it's fine. I'm sure it's fine. That's just what the gods wanted. Oh, they love you. But yeah, the Imperium of Man bulldozed an entire fucking planet full of Morwins and decided to build farms there. This turned out to be a spectacularly bad idea, surprising no one. And Jim Caviezel's entire family was killed by the one surviving Morwen that got into the compound and killed everyone. So they wanted the land, they say. We wanted this land. So we killed all the Morwins with fire, which is a great way to preserve the planet we wanted. <laughs> We're gonna burn it all down. Great idea. And then you see him and his wife and son wearing matching outfits. <laughs> and then he says the line, there is no gods. Okay, yeah, that does happen. Why is that the take they used? <laughs> <laughs> I just like, it seems to be doing something like, Mac, you described this to me last night as like, the theme that they're trying to go for is man's greatest enemy is man. Yeah, but they don't know how to do it. 
They're like, man's greatest enemy is man, but- Now we're gonna demonstrate it by killing monsters. What is the thematic point of him, like, being a sad soldier who was forced to do a genocide? Yeah, I think they just wanted space marine hanging out with Vikings, and they had to work backwards from there. (laughs) (laughs) And this is what they came up with. Because they don't attempt to humanize the monster, the Mormon, in any way, shape, or form. At no point are we supposed to, like, sympathize with it at all. Well, well, <laughs> there's one bit. There's one bit where you're like, oh, yeah, you can see the better version of this movie. But <laughs> but other than that, there's a little animal, like, head butt against an animal corpse, and that's it. That's it. This ain't like the Lion King. That's not the part I was thinking about. I was thinking about its death scene. Yeah. Spoiler alert, they kill the yeah. monster, by spoiler the way. Spoiler alert. <laughs> also, second spoiler alert, you know how in the original, you know how there's Grendel's mom and also Grendel? Yeah, spoiler alert. While Jim Caviezel and Wolfric lure this thing into the pit full of oil, and then Wolfric fucking bails and falls into the pit full of oil, and Jim Caviezel has to drag him out, and even after being covered in oil, he remains the exact same amount of greasy he was before. <laughs> yeah. I also love that, like, after Jim Caviezel and Freya talk, she's like, anyways, have a sword. So then he has this sword for, like, part of the movie now. Yeah. Yeah. After Wolfric's pulled out- Oh, wait, we forgot the priest's death! Oh, crap! <laughs> oh, right! The priest comes back and he like walks right up to the Morwen and they're like, what's your priest doing, Hrothgar? Okay, quick, we need to place this in the movie because we thoroughly <laughs> fucked it up. Okay, Okay. so, okay, okay, so Freya gives Jim Caviezel a sword. sword. And like he walks out and Wolfric is like, did she give you a sword? I wanted her to give me a sword. Here's a spear. Let's go kill this thing. <laughs> so they go out, they walk out into the front of the village. The monster starts like stalking towards them. And then a priest shows up from stage left. <laughs> He's just out of nowhere. And he walks right up to this thing and it's just kind of looking at him. <laughs> he wasn't in the village. Where did he come from? <laughs> We saw him praying during the preparation montage earlier. That's all we seen of him. Did he leave the village at some point? Did he walk over the shields? We don't know. But the priest is here now, and he starts, like, chanting at the Morwen, walks right up to it, and is like, get out of here, Satan. And so the Morwen kills him. It explodes him. It doesn't even eat him or take its body to, like, its great big horde of dead bodies that we see later in the movie. It just explodes him. Like, is this trying to do some kind of church bad thing here? I I don't understand why this is happening. I don't know what this scene is supposed to communicate. (laughs) Anyway, that is what starts this whole sequence. This whole, at least 75% of the movie is this scene. They run back to the village. They lure the Morwen into the pit, which they get across by hopping on the shields. Wolfric dips into the pit. They drag him out. They shoot an arrow at the pit. And they light it on fire. It explodes! It doesn't just get lit on fire, it explodes like a car! <laughs> like, like they aerosolized it, holy shit. They're like, yay, we succeeded! And as they step back and admire the work, suddenly the bad CG monster steps out covered in bad CG fire. No, that's not what happens. No, there's another one. What happens first is that we find out there's another one. Right. Oh, no. There's a baby Morwen that then attacks all the women and children hiding in the hall. And while they're screaming about that. And Rothgar has to go and help. By the way, Eric's first line is he screams Frey as he sees the monster that's about to kill them all. And then as everyone's turning around to look at that problem, then Mommy Morwen busts out of the trap. (laughs) And it's on fire. This Morwen is perpetually on fire for the next, like, 15 minutes. And then Wolfric, who is covered in oil, decides to run directly at it. (laughs) 
we have a whole fight scene with a monster who is completely unchanged. It's just on fire now. <laughs> it's There's an implication that it being on fire hurt it later, but like it doesn't have any lasting effect on this thing's capabilities. It's just on fire now. It's just on fire now. And also there's the baby one that kills John Hurt. <laughs> Rothgar's dead now. <laughs> I'm not sure we can officially classify this as like a mom and a baby. There's just a big one and a small one. Well, one gave birth to the other. There, That's what that scene was. What? You know that little bit, that little tiny scene after a bunch of gunners people get killed and then there's a guy who wakes up on a corpse pile and he looks up and there's a lot of weird lights? Oh, yeah. That was Mommy Morwen giving birth to Baby Morwen. Are you sure? It's just really badly visually communicated. That is what's happening in that scene. How many times have you seen this? Um, six. Okay, I trust your judgment. Well, not about seeing it six times, but what happened in that scene? I... <laughs> Yeah, I've seen this movie a lot of times. The first time I saw it, I had no idea what that scene was. But on subsequent viewings, I was like, oh, that must be where the baby Morwen came from. Okay, sure. Fine, 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 fine. Anyway, there's this huge long fight scene in this village with an on-fire Morwen and a smaller Morwen that we see a little bit. The Gunner's head gets chopped off by Gunner. Gunner's head gets chopped off by the Morwen, not by himself. Yeah. I don't know. His head gets <laughs> chopped off. No, no, no. I mean goodbye, Gunner, not by B.Y. Gunner. I see oh, the problem okay. there. No. Yes. You, you see my confusion. I do. Ron Perlman's involvement in this movie is over. He now has that check and his wife can buy more shoes. We're good. He's done. Jim Caviezel's new son comes by to tell him about the second one. And Hrothgar has noticed that there's another one at some point. He charges towards where the women and children are. And then we cut to the church or wherever. Everyone's just sort of gone. It's not clear if everyone else is dead except for the two characters in here or if they just left or I don't know. The hall is empty. It's the same feasting hall. It's just it's dark now and they haven't dressed it up with all the tables. So it's fucking unrecognizable as a set in this movie because all the sets in this movie are functionally identical. But... Yeah, you see the tree in the background. But yeah, Rothgar's dead. Freya's cradling his head in her lap, and he's very dead, having been clawed to death by baby Morwen. <laughs> he didn't even get taken out by the big one. Nope. Yeah, but you know how sharp kitten claws are? It's like that. <laughs> Hrothgar is dead. Everyone who is incidental is fleeing the village now. Jim Caviezel's new son relates to us immediately. By the way, this kid is now just cosplaying Hiccup from How to Train Your Dragon is what yeah. the costume choice is there. That's what this is. And Wolfric is king now, and he's like, king of what? This! And he gestures to the empty village, and it's like, Wolfric, Asgard is not a place. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, Jim Caviezel white fangs the kid for like the third time in this movie and sends him <laughs> off with all the people who are fleeing the village, leaving just Jim Caviezel, Freya, Wolfric, Boromir, and a bunch of other Vikings I don't recognize and was never introduced to. One of them is named <laughs> Unferth, though, which is another character from Beowulf. That's all I got. Okay, good. So I'm not supposed to know them. Yeah, I, we were not introduced to these guys at any point in the movie. I don't recognize any of them. It's fine. Okay, cannon fodder. Gotcha. They determined somehow that the monster came from the well. Due to the fact that there's apparently a shit ton of blood in the well. Considering a whole lot of people just died here, I'm not sure that's an indicator of anything. There was a monster running around on fire. It just seems like stuff might have fallen in the well. <laughs> but Jim Caviezel looks like to the conclusion that they need to swim down the well to find the monster lair. Huh. Yeah, because you know it's a Beowulf. It's a Beowulf. It's a Beowulf. But first, they need better metal. 
Oh my god. Okay, okay. So you would expect at some point that maybe if the spaceman is going to get some cool weapons for the Vikings, they're gonna like graft some lasers onto some axes yeah. or something. Maybe they'll at least put some blinky lights on something. Or get his laser bullets again or something. Something cool. No, they're just gonna go get a bunch of scrap metal from the crashed ship and make those into swords. Just a sword, I think. I think it's just one sword. A sword and a couple of spears. There's a couple of spears that show up. God, what a waste. It's not even shiny. There's not even any blinky lights. This doesn't even look cool. There's literally (laughs) no difference. Yeah, it's just bulkhead. Ugh. So they go to the lake where Jim Caviezel's ship crash landed. It's Wolfric and Freya and Jimmy. There is a fun bit where Wolfric said, this is where your ship went down? In a lake? (laughs) Jim Caviezel's just like, don't ask. And that's the end of that. Which I like how this movie is continuing to not give a shit about explaining anything to do with the space marines. Couldn't they just do some cool space stuff? They don't. They don't. They don't. Nope. Jim Caviezel just swims down while the other two just hang out in a boat, in like a little rowboat. There's this moment where like, oh my god, the Morwen's down here too. And is he just going to like stab it with a Bowie knife? Is that his plan? I would have wanted to see the movie where he stabs the Morwen with the Bowie knife. It'd be pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Underwater. But that's not what happens. The Morwen just sort of dips. He grabs some scrap metal from the hull swims back up and the boat's been attacked which is interesting because that means he couldn't hear any of that happening water carries sound real good though it does though but he comes back up and wolfric is unconscious but completely fine yeah floating on some driftwood don't worry about it as evidenced by the fact that he's completely conscious in the next scene and freya's just gone freya's just gone it just took freya Because Freya was in danger of doing something. She had this whole scene where she was like, I'm coming too. It killed my father. And then it's just right out of the movie in the next scene. Yep. Yep. The one lady. (laughs) The one lady. The one lady. And they ride back to the village and they're like, oh, where's Freya? And they're just like, make the fucking swords and stop asking questions. This is the last half hour of the movie. We got to fucking move. (laughs) No, it's the last 40 minutes. I remember it's the last 40 minutes. (laughs) So the movie goes very fast from this point forward. Like it faffs around for a full hour and a half and then this. So they climb down the well. They've got a cool space sword at some point. And it's really weird because they perpetually refer to the sword that Jim Caviezel had for a while. And then it broke in the Mormon attack. And then I think they reforge it here or something where they say it's like a sword fit for a king. But at no point does anyone give Wolfric the sword. Nope. No, it's Jim Caviezel gets the sword. Because I guess they just all know what's happening here. <laughs> they all know who the protagonist is. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Jim Caviezel swims down the well. He finds a poorly lit cave layer, which just bodes real well for this action sequence. Yeah. And then there's a volcano level, <laughs> which doesn't really, nothing happens there of major importance. There's just a volcano level for some reason. A bunch of the Vikings join him. We cut to Freya who wakes up in a pile of corpses. Because the mommy Morwen has been hoarding dead bodies for her baby to eat. And then she kicks the Morwen in the head a couple of times and that's nice. Yeah, and then it hears the other guys coming, so it tips over a pile of bodies onto her so she can't do anything else for the rest of this scene. Yep. Everybody gets lost. They find the Morwen, and there's, like, some violence, and it turns out that it's got glowy green blood. It's eating a guy who's still alive, which is pre-metal, and then Jim Caviezel looks over and sees Boromir in another, like, part of the cave, and I guess tells him to steal second? I'm not sure what those hand gestures mean. (laughs) (laughs) But Boromir dies basically immediately afterwards. Look, folks, don't name your kid Boromir. It only ever ends badly. 
the thing spots them and tries to kill them. Jim Caviezel manages to slash it across the eyes, blinding it, and then it proceeds to charge past Boromir, Gwen Stacying him in the process. <laughs> like, he dies inordinately quickly from basically being smacked into. And he's like, goodbye, Jim Caviezel. I was a drunk personality. <laughs> and he's like, you sure were Boromir, you did it. Yeah, this movie spends a lot of time trying to make us feel things about <laughs> Boromir being dead. <laughs> I don't know how this movie wants me to feel about Boromir. <laughs> Most of the feelings I had about Boromir is he looks kind of like the guy who voiced King Candy. <laughs> he looks a bit like Pirate Bob and Dodgeball. Pirate Steve, that was his name. Why do I remember the characters in Dodgeball? Why do you remember the characters in Dodgeball? That's a great question. Alan Tudyk? Is that how you spell that? Yeah, Alan Tudyk, yeah. Okay. He looks like a dime star Alan Tudyk. Which explains why he dies. Boromir does? I think so. It's something in the eyes. Not at all. I was making a joke specifically to emotionally harm all the Firefly fans. (laughs) I don't know who Boromir reminds me of, but he reminds me of somebody. What? Might be Alan Tudyk. That's not Alan Tudyk. It's from a cartoon. Alan Tudyk was in Dodgeball. Huh? We're getting off track. No! We're getting off track. I, I, know you, I know he was in Dodgeball. I'm saying that Boromir doesn't look anything like Alan Tudyk. I think it's something in the eyes. I don't know. I Look, I missed a whole ass Ron Perlman in this movie. <laughs> so. You are not watching this movie particularly closely. <laughs> I tried. God help me, I tried. <laughs> I have five previous viewings to help me out here. You do not. <laughs> There's a whole sequence where these characters decide to wander around and try to find each other by yelling really loudly and chasing echoes in a cave for a while. That turns out surprisingly well. <laughs> I don't understand how they actually found each other. There was a point where they looked around and there were three identical passageways like a video game. <laughs> Now, there is kind of a cool bit here where Freya is running towards where she's hearing, like, Jim Caviezel and Wolfric's voices. And then she senses something in the darkness and starts to back up. And then the baby Morwen emerges from the darkness. And whoever animated this thing did a pretty good job of communicating that this thing can't see. Because it's placing its paws very carefully and moving forward very hesitantly. And it's kind of neat. However... Like, it does cast about a bit. We haven't really spent as much time with its face as we should to really easily communicate that it's blind. We just got this green slash where maybe its eyes are. It is interesting and pretty cool, but unfortunately this movie is two hours long and this bit is maybe 16 seconds. Freya gets to do a thing now. (laughs) Because Jim Caviezel and Wolfric find Freya, but they're on the other side of a wall and there's a little bit of a hole That looks like it might be a loading screen crevice, but she can't get through. And so he's like, wait a minute. Girl can't get through to where sword is. Sword go where girl is. (laughs) So they pass Freya the sword and she uses it to chop the baby Morwen's head off. And then for good measure, she stabs it a couple more times because she's having a really rough afternoon. She's been corpse swimming for a while. And then the really funny part is that Jim Caviezel and Wolfric come out and like they just go around that part of the cave. <laughs> like there was an- another way around this entire time. It took them like 10 seconds. They could have just taken that 10 seconds to walk around, but they waited. They decided to f*** around trying to drag her through a too narrow gap anyway because they're idiots. But <laughs> <laughs> they could have just gone around this whole time. But here we are. The baby Morwen is dead and Freya got to kill a thing. Yay, Freya. Finally. I can't believe this didn't make me feel gay. <laughs> That's one Morwen down. Unfortunately, Mommy Morwen just woke up. 
because of course the one that's on fire is alive. Yeah, it just woke up and sensed its baby is dead. It was just asleep and now it's alive again. <laughs> At some point, Wolfric, Freya, and Jim Caviezel, who are the only ones left now, by the way, they wander through the caves. They have a dramatic reveal where they look at something that's really poorly lit, but they're horrified or amazed, maybe. I mean, most of these people aren't really emoting. I, I think it's a bunch of corpses. They look at all the dead bodies. I think they're reacting to the big, big pile of dead bodies. Okay, I thought it was maybe the corpses, but I couldn't totally tell. Yeah, they're, I think they're looking at the big, big stockpile of dead bodies for Baby Morwen. None of them even said, look at all these people, or look at all the bodies to help me out here. No, they just say gods, and then look in the direction of a really, really underlit cave. <laughs> so they finally find a way out. It's not the way they came in. It's a dramatic waterfall over a huge cliff. Yep. And the Morwen has them cornered. And then there's an inordinate amount of faffing around because Freya falls off the ledge and then Jim Caviezel grabs her. And then there's some logistics of figuring out, do we get her back up onto the ledge or no? She's got a knife. Just swing her over that away and she'll stick the knife into the wall and hang out over there while we fight the Mormon. Oh, shit. Wolfric's getting mauled to death. Yeah. yeah, he just kind of gets chewed for a while. Everyone else has gotten these really swift deaths, but Wolfric just kind of gets gnawed on like a rawhide. Oh, God. And he's stabbing at it with, like, the spaceship alloy spear. He's doing a pretty good job, but he is getting mauled to death. <laughs> and, then, and then they manage to... And then it drops Wolfric and then just kind of looks at Jim Caviezel and backs up back into the cave. And Jim runs after it, leaving Freya to just kind of hang out on a cliff by herself. Yeah, yeah she drags herself back up because she wants to participate in the boss fight. But this is mostly Jim Caviezel versus a Morwen, and he doesn't do well at all. Nope. Uh, they do this whole thing where, like, he's trying to find the Morwen, and eventually he sees its reflection on his sword. And then gets smacked around by it anyway. The reflection gives him no warning whatsoever. Uh. <laughs> but he and Freya finally manage to back this thing up onto a cliff, and it goes over, but it grabs Jim Caviezel's arm. And, like, they have this whole moment where they share this deep look into each other's eyes. Yeah, at this point in the movie, you can see the better version of this movie where there's a metaphorical through line that Jim Caviezel and the Morwen are the same. They are the same entity. They are the, both the last of their kind through acts of violence against each other. And in that, they share a kind of kinship. They both lost their children. Jim Caviezel is the aggressor that has destroyed the Morwen's home. The, the point here is that they both belong dead. That's the point of them staring into <laughs> each other's eyes like this. Jim Caviezel should have died in this scene. Instead, he chops the thing arm off and it falls into the sea like was he supposed to apologize or something no he just chops its arm off he doesn't even chop his own arm off which would be kind of cool that would be kind of metal but no 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 instead we have this and then there's a dramatic death scene where they cradle wolfric as he dies and he talks about he only got to be king for a day <laughs> but he's like oh but you can be king now jim caviezel here you go we could have been friends, and then Jim Caviezel says, we are friends. And it's not exactly, I would have followed you to the end, my brother, my captain, my king, is it? No. No, it's so weird, because, like, I thought the whole point of Shields was that they were friends. It's not like they were rivals or anything. They didn't have any kind of, like, dramatic tension. It just seemed like they played Shields, and he's like, we're boyfriends now. Yeah. Yeah. 
Anyway. He wasn't even jealous of Freya or anything. No. And ostensibly, those two were supposed to be engaged. There was no tension between these characters. Wolfric dies. Conveniently. And Jim Caviezel and Freya stand up and they look into the distance. And then they start shouting, Eric! And waving their hand. Because there's the boat! <laughs> yeah, because you will not believe who's sailing by at that exact moment. <laughs> Conveniently, the boat's full of the villagers are here. They had boats, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they climb up to the top of the cliff first. But yeah, it's just, it's right there. He's <laughs> like, oh, there's my son. Hi, new son. He's like, hi, new dad. And then Freya like tries to make Jim Caviezel king. And Jim Caviezel's like, no, I have to go do something first. And Freya, who has a brain, is like, oh, you're not coming back, are you? <laughs> And he leaves. There is this king medallion that has been handed off between characters for the whole movie. Wolfric hands it to Jim Caviezel and Jim Caviezel hands it to Freya. It's not something about how like, no, she is more fit to rule her own people or something, something. It's just like, nah, hold on to this. I'll, I'll BRB, definitely. <laughs> and then he gives her the most emotionless kiss. Yeah, like I said, Jim Caviezel is the most sexless person on the planet. There is no passion in this kiss. It must be like kissing a fish. This is a Catholic man who's been happily married for 30 years. He doesn't even try. You know how Jim Caviezel's face doesn't move in this movie? Neither do his lips. It's just meh. That's what it sounds like. And then he leaves. And then he goes and has a moment with his dead wife. Yeah, he swims down because it turns out his ship's full of life pods. He says at some point that the ship that got shot down was apparently corpse transport. Yeah, they were taking the bodies back somewhere for burial after the Morwen murked them all. Yeah. By the way, this lady has not been murked by a Morwen. <laughs> We've seen what happens to people. <laughs> she's fine. No, she's totally fine. <laughs> She's perfectly preserved. He just goes down and, like, taps on her little glass, tries to paw on her face a little because that's how Jim Caviezel expresses feelings around women. And just like, all right, bye, wife. Just her swims up. And I guess all those corpses are just going to hang out in the lake now. He just kind of leaves them there. <laughs> They're just left there. Because here's the thing. Jim Caviezel finds his little computer, which apparently had a working beacon this entire time. And was sending a signal this entire time. And a ship finally got the signal and is starting to descend. And Jim Caviezel brings his sword down on this thing, causing a bunch of fireworks to go up for some reason. And the ship that was descending is just like, oh, we lost the signal. I guess we should leave. <laughs> they have no interest in investigating this. They have absolutely no desire. Surely there would have been a distress beacon when the ship was actually under attack that they would have also been tracing or something. But they're just like, eh. Yeah, we're good. Whatever. We're gone. Bye. You'd think that they would at least want to recover the cargo, which was bodies. Nah. Ugh. Which was perfectly preserved coffins of people. Nah. Also, Freya's watching this entire thing from the bushes and is coming to a not incorrect conclusion. <laughs> oh, God, no. He just, like, waits until the ship arrives. Then he just, nah stabs the beacon it explodes and the ship is just like eh. <laughs> they just go they just leave they just go you think normally a distress beacon being suddenly cut off sure seems like that would be worth looking at nah. anyway now we have our epilogue which is the funeral scene for wolfric and rothgar they share a boat they share a boat yeah they share a boat they didn't have extra boats and Jim Caviezel setting it on fire with a fire arrow while Freya in voiceover says, truly he was the outlander. <laughs> truly he was the outlander. He took a wife and adopted a son that he treated as his own, aka talking about herself. 
Which is weird. But I knew something that no one knew. That he was from the gods. And when the gods came to take him back, he said no. (laughs) Also, I have a question. She calls this the year of four kings. Yeah, there's only been three. Who's the fourth? Who's the fourth? Is it Gunner? Is it Wolfric's dad? Kit, you don't know? Yeah, we thought you would know. We thought you would know. I think the year of four kings is like Wolfric's dad and then Hrothgar succeeded him and then Wolfric succeeded Hrothgar and then Jim Caviezel succeeded Wolfric. I think that's what four kings means. But you're not sure. I'm not entirely sure. This is never explained. Okay, okay. Well, at least Mr. Six Times the Movie over here doesn't know either. <laughs> There's just things about this movie that are never going to make sense, like how it got made. And then she's like, the secret god sent us Jim Caviezel. (laughs) And that's the end of the movie. The credits start playing. Truly, he was the Outlander. (laughs) Truly, he was the Outlander. (laughs) I will say I do appreciate that Jim Caviezel does cry in this movie. But he does the pretty girl cry, which means that the rest of the face doesn't move. They just put some, like, drops in his eyes. Yeah, just tears streaming down his face. Like I said, this whole Clint Eastwood style of acting does work for him in Person of Interest, because in Person of Interest, he's playing a character who basically was a man who joined the military to become a hero, and the CIA turned him into a murderer. This is a man who lives inside an emotional prison every day of his life. So this incredibly repressed, like, Kristen Stewart, Clint Eastwood style of acting does work in that role, just in no other role ever. And you think he needs a better agent? Like I said, there are worse actors with better careers. Chris Pratt is still working. Oh, sure, but you're saying Jim Caviezel needs to be in more things to not act in? Yeah, I think we could stand- Not just everybody else should be in less things. Chris Pratt should be in less things. Chris Pratt should be alert. There's a couple of things where I'm like, you know, they could have put Jim Caviezel in this instead. I mean, he wouldn't have made Jurassic World any better or worse. Jurassic World would have given me more gender feelings if Jim Caviezel was in it. But like I said, it's not necessarily that I think he's some, you know, unappreciated great talent. It's just that he does a good enough job and enough things that I've seen him in that I'm like, why is this guy not a movie star? Why are other people movie stars and not him? I don't understand this. I think people just don't want to hire Jesus Christ. I can't think of a single actor whose career has survived being Jesus Christ. Kind of ironic, actually. I think that's a career killer, is playing Jesus. (laughs) So that was Outlander. So that was Outlander. (laughs) Yeah, that was Outlander. That movie was two hours long. (laughs) Why was that movie two hours long? Because they had it end after the trap scene, and then someone was like, no, we need more movie. I would argue that perhaps less, less movie would have been okay. This is a premise for a 70-minute film. Maybe they wanted to apply for arts funding from the government of Canada, and they were like, you have to shoot for at least six weeks before we'll give you the money. Oh, boy. Oh, that could be it. Oh, boy. I mean, that would explain the other Viking village attack. That would explain the 20-minute shield scene. Shields. That would explain the whole trap scene that seems like it's a climax and nothing really comes of it canadian citizens have to draw a paycheck from this for at least six weeks before we'll give you federal funding (laughs) i don't know if that's actually the case i don't know if this movie got federal funding but that's a theory (laughs) well you know at least we can rest assured that some canadians got paid some canadians got paid to work on this movie that way everyone's a winner (laughs) i guess this wraps it up i mean (laughs) final facts time folks Kit, what's your final fact? If you're going to do the Dances with Wolves plot, you should do it with Vikings and not indigenous people because with the Vikings, you get to do dumb frat boy bullshit like shields instead of cultural appropriation. That does sound much better. Mm. Mac, what's your final fact? My final fact happens to do 
with the translation of Beowulf by Maria Davana Headley. Oh, is this that new one? That's the new one where she writes all the Vikings like frat boys. Awesome. Honestly, that's how it should be. <laughs> like, this is not her translation. This is just kind of like the generic translation that everybody uses. Listen, we of the Spear Danes in the day of yore of those clan kings heard of their glory. How these nobles performed courageous deeds. This is how she starts that. Bro, tell me we still know how to speak of the days back when everyone was brave and bold, like in the stories now. Yeah, I'd prefer that to Seamus Heaney's translation. Right? Yeah, no. Was it Seamus Heaney or Tom Stoppard that did it? I think it was Tom Stoppard. It was Tom Stoppard, okay. Probably Tom Stoppard, God damn it. I'm just saying that Maria, she has it right. Read her translation if you read any translation of Beowulf. Love, Max. I do like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. I have some opinions about it. I do think it works better as a stage show than as a movie. Yes. That is true. Annie, what's your final fact? If you're gonna have space laser Vikings, you better fucking deliver on the space laser Vikings. Otherwise, you just have a big monster fantasy movie. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> yeah, but it's just it's just LARP with one guy who refused to LARP. Don't sell me on space laser Vikings and not give me an axe with blinky lights on it. I'm just saying. It's a betrayal. <laughs> That's going to do it for us. I am dubiously convinced that Jim Caviezel could use a better agent. Maybe you feel more feelings about this. Outlander, folks! I feel like the last time we did a January episode where we watch a movie at Kit's suggestion, it was also a Kit's gender feelings movie. Which one was it? Huntsman Winter's War. Oh, that wasn't a January. I think January is just Kit's gender feelings month. Kit, we didn't have a thing January of last year. I meant the year before that. We went straight from November to March. (laughs) Yeah, I meant the year before that. Let's see, Huntsman Winter War. That was a February. Yeah, so that's close. I mean, winter. January 5th, 2019 was Muppet Christmas Carol. Right, because we were late. Yeah. And by that, I mean I was late because I was still editing episodes at that point. Right. Winter is Kit's gender feelings month. It's cold here. I can't go outside. I have nothing to do but think about my gender feelings. (laughs) That'll do. So this has been Kit's movie pick. (laughs) Next time Mackenzie finally gets to do a movie, she's been wanting to do since we started this podcast. Literally, we started this podcast. This was like the second thing I wrote down. This is a movie that Mackenzie and I watched together in, like, college, so I am very fond of it. We're going to be talking about Titanic 2. Our fact, if you're wanting to know, writer-director leads make for great, slash that out, awesome, slash that out, terrible movies. (laughs) Writer-director leads are incredible, folks. They make for bad, good movies. And this is not a sequel to James Cameron's Titanic, no. This is about the second boat. Yep. It's an asylum flick. We're going to go places. <laughs> it stars Dick Van Dyke's grandson. Mostly when I say we're going to go places, I mean we're going to go to the interior of a Holiday Inn conference center. <laughs> of a hotel. Can we talk about the fact that Dick Van Dyke chose to go by a name that makes him sound like a drag king? <laughs> we can talk about that during Titanic 2. Coming to your Yuffie years in about five weeks. Will we remember to do that? I don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> I Will Fight You comes out every five weeks wherever you download podcasts. It is edited by Lucas Brown of the Math of You podcast. If you want to find us on social media, we are at CRC Podcast on Twitter. We also have a Tumblr of Crooked Russian Cam. It just posts things. Don't worry about it. Because all of the things about this and our other shows are on crookedrussiancam.horse or if you're feeling frisky, crookedrussiancam.gay. It's also .com. Don't go there. That one sucks. We, do, we don't care. We just have that one for logistical reasons. You're never going to make .com happen. Stop trying to make .com happen. 
If you would like to support us, a like, reading, review, subscribe, wherever you find our podcast is always super helpful, helps our metrics. We also like to hear comments about ourselves because we're just like that. We're messy bitches who love drama. If you want to support us with dollars for at least a dollar a month, you can get a lot of stuff on our Patreon at patreon.com slash thegemjam. Yes, it's old. Don't worry about that one either. They won't let us change it. <laughs> they won't let us change it. He can't do it on command. <laughs> Actually, I will fight you specifically whenever Lucas finishes episodes early. Those do go up first on Patreon for all of our $1 and up subscribers, so you can hear us even sooner than the rubes. <laughs> the plebs who haven't given us money. Exactly. You can give us money. You can give us money to do so many stupid things. Join us next time for Titanic 2, where we talk about writer-director leads and how they make the best movies. Worst movies. Yes. <laughs> yes. So until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And we have fought you. Okay. Fucking neato. Okay. <laughs> Real fucking neato. I'm very excited for this. Okay. <laughs> By the way, please do like maybe, maybe like 30% less fucks. <laughs> Is that a direct request? <laughs> Am I costing us money with all my fucks? It, it does take Lucas more time. This isn't a request from Lucas, but this is like, it does translate into dollars. <laughs> we might need a literal swear jar. Just dial that back about 30%. This movie doesn't make me absolutely furious, so there's probably going to be fewer fucks. Okay. And then Jim Starfucker stares grittily off into the <laughs> distance and wishes he didn't burn his dick off fucking all those stars. What? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> and then there's screaming and, and there's a bear. Do you guys want a fun fact for the stinger? Yes. So Howard McCain and Dirk Blackman, the writer-director duo who made Outlander, they were hired uh -huh. to work on one other movie, which was Underworld Rise of the Lycans, and then they never did anything else. They had one movie and this was it. <laughs> Underworld Rise of the Lycans. Which one is that? That's the one that goes back in time and has Michael Sheen as the werewolf rebellion leader type dude whose vampire love interest gets murdered by her dad, who's played by Bill Nighy, and then he leads a rebellion against the vampires. Oh, that sounds terrible. It is absolutely awful. They just made that. Also, Sophia Myles was also in one of the Underworld movies. She was in the first one. She played a vampire named Erica. Don't ask me why. I still know that. I can think of a reason. Is it gay? Is the reason gay? I think the reason's gay. <laughs> yeah. I think the reason's formative gay. Yeah. <sighs> Kate Beckinsale does wear a lot of, like, vinyl in that movie. Anyway.